1: Now here are your hosts: Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers, Pure Athlete Yet, yeah. a transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler, I don't talk, man. I back it up, and we are talk full of that. man. You're right. And Jeff Howe, it's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Cause stone cold sets so. up. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howell. Let's not waste any time and get right into this week's presentation. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we just thank you so much for enjoying another episode of Longhorn Blitz. You can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search Horns 24-7. Click that follow button. You get every episode of the flagship state of recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us. A five-star review. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? I'm terrific, and a man who's always terrific. He's a renaissance man. But for the purposes of this show, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers.
2: Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate it.
1: Did you see albums. the uh, – Members of the Blitz Nation, Blitz listeners have reached out to CDC on Twitter <laughs> about the status of your t Yes,
2: appreciate you guys. Unnecessary, but I, I appreciate that, yes. it'll well, it, it, Listen, it'll get done one of these days. It just hasn't been a priority. Wifey wants it, though, so it'll probably get done sooner rather than
1: That's later. That's going to make it a priority. Yeah, exactly. We we all, we all know how <laughs> that works, yeah. trust me. Um, let's go ahead and just wrap up the Gary Patterson stuff real quick because we've been yeah. talking about it for weeks. There's not a whole lot to add. It's officially official, as official as it can be. And, guys, kind of like we talked about, I didn't think there was going to be a press conference. We didn't even get a press release. I was on a group text with the uh, sports information department with several other writers. and was like, hey, uh, Gary Patterson's official. If you guys want to just make note of that. So pretty covert, stealth, uh, GP working behind the scenes. He's been on campus for, I don't know, two, two and a half, three weeks, whatever it is now, just going through cut-ups, breaking down film. He was a part of Junior Day this past weekend. Uh, Rod, we talked about it, man, just kind of one of those stealth roles where he just gets back and gets to be a ball coach and doesn't have to deal with all the other stuff you got to do. I thought you put it very astutely last week. Sounds like he kind of wants to be an NFL coach without going to the NFL. Pretty much,
2: yeah. <laughs> doesn't want all the uh, – a lot of the well, – what things are considered burdensome with the college coaching job. Burdensome. He still wants – You know, he still wants to be about ball, which is kind of what the NFL is about. So, and he gets to pick and choose. He's almost better than than Yeah. Yeah. Because he's almost picking and choosing what, you know, what phase and, you know, what avenue of the program that he wants to get involved in. And we don't actually know what that is. Uh, You say he was there at junior day. I'm assuming he's going to be working on the defense. I'm, I'm assuming that's one of his projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm sure special
1: projects. That's in the uh, job description. Exactly.
2: He's (laughs) a special assistant, you know, the special assistant to the head coach. So he can get into a number of different things, Uh, but I like the move. I mean, we still don't really know what the details are and we don't know, the hierarchy in terms of who answers to who and who has final call and final say, and I'm sure that they don't really want us asking those questions either. So
1: it does sound though yeah. like it, it's going to be less of kind of what Jerry Kill was for the TCU offense, and then the what you know the quote Gary Patterson gave us in Horns 24 uh, Seven. Chip Brown talked to Gary Patterson. He was at the K State basketball game last Tuesday, yeah. and the quote from Gary Patterson was. I'm paraphrasing here, something to the effect of, he hopes he is for Sark what Dick Tomey was for Mac Brown. And if you remember when Mac Brown brought in Greg Robinson and Dick Tomey uh, in January of 2004, kind of just almost like a consultant title. Yeah, Dick Tomey was the defensive ends coach, but let's be real, he was more of a kind of a consultant type guy, big picture stuff. Assistant head
2: coach? Was he assistant head
1: coach? uh, Something like that. I forgot what exactly his title was. But it was more kind of an across-the-board type deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you're involved, you're doing some, yes, you're the defensive ends coach, but you're involved in self-scouting. You're kind of a culture coach, too, in the offseason workouts. You kind of, you got your fingers in a lot of different pots, and Rod, at least early on, it looks like that's what Gary Patterson's going to do, just pretty much whatever pots he wants to have his fingers in, he, he's going to have them
2: And in. he was only in there for one year, right? They tell me he was? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I would say that Texas was in a very different position. Oh, I, they were, they needed Dick Tomey just to get them, you know, to kind of get a boost in terms of the culture and find out some of the little mm-hmm. details that they had overlooked and that Mac maybe had overlooked. How to beat you came in <laughs> to come and fill in some of those gaps. Yeah, if you, hes coming in to fill in the gap for Texas. He's talking about a Grand canyon size gap. I don't even know yeah. if Gary Patterson could fill that. Yeah. So it's yeah, I'm sure he wants to be that, but he's not going to be that because you can't be that because Texas isn't what it was in at that time. You're you're trying
1: to get two totally different places.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you're in a different – Texas in a different place right now than they Mm -hmm. were. You may be where Dick Tomey was at his career, and that's great, but Texas isn't there. Texas needs a lot – they're going to need a lot more maybe than Dick Tomey offered Texas back then because they're not even close to the promised land like they were then. They were one step away Mm -hmm. at the time Dick Tomey came. Now Texas is – 13, 14, 15 <laughs> yeah. steps away. Oh, we can all agree yeah. with that. Yeah. I think
1: it's more of just being the sounding board and a guy that can give Steve. Sar- we talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about this the last couple weeks. A guy that can just give Steve Sarkeesian honest feedback. Yeah, like good. no, you're you're doing this right. This over here, this sucks. This needs to change. This you're kind of on the right track, but maybe do this a little bit different. Just be that that kind of guy.
0: And the yeah. feeling I always got from, like, say, Tommy was more of him being sort of that guy just like to fix, say, the on-field stuff. This Patterson hire just sort of seems like more as an entire, you know, school across the board just being able to fix everything that's involved with Texas football right now. And not to say it's the one-person fix – but a guy that's ran the whole program at a yes. school, state school and True. be able to understand evaluation, development, talent, and have a little bit – it's like yeah. uh, the ma- master – jack of all but master of none and just being able to give – Good consultant type, you know, information to somebody that maybe now for the first time, going from being a OC, not the first time, but to a head coach, where you maybe had diminishing certain aspects that you didn't necessarily have to focus on before. When you're just an OC, you're just no OC. When you run an entire program that's a lot more responsibility so a guy yeah. an old head like Gary Patterson that's familiar that can then also like we always talk about going and rabbit hole in Well, he shows up and he's like wait wait well this side this seems like it needs a little bit of attention I can go deep into this and make sure and see what's going on here and be able to allocate the time because the allocation of time. You, hell, who knows? Sark showed showed up and been like, I can do this, and then showed up and be like, geez, there are a lot of things I need to have some deep dives into, and I don't have the time to because now I'm the head coach, I have a lot of things to do.
2: Well, that's kind of my thing, though. See, Texas needs like, long form, <laughs> yes, <laughs> deep dive, yes. rabbit holing. Project overhaul Need In 100 some analysts. places Right Especially on Defensive side of the ball If he's just going to If he's jack of all Trades Master of none Type of approach Where oh, I'll get a little bit Of help here And a little bit of help there That's not going to do Texas any good No Texas needs you to go Deep 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 down the rabbit hole on defense and try to figure out answers, right? We need yeah. creative solutions to complex problems. You're not going to get that by going superficially, uh, you know what I recognized when I was watching a little bit of film? Like, I can't go to my Twitter account. I can show you half of those. Yeah. yeah, We need we need you to go deeper behind the scenes. So it can't be where he's he's got eight different things he's working on at once. I don't think that's the wise way. I think the wise way Agree. is give him one project, give him one problem to solve and see if he solves it. Mm-hmm. See if he gives you more solutions to it than you have figured out. See if he's got more creative solutions to the problem than you and your staff have come up with. Because if you just ask him to go, you know, have a little bit of an influence on 13, 15 different things, I, I don't know. That's the way I would use it. I, I would mean use him it to figure what's your biggest issue right now? What is holding you back right now from, from being a program that compete for the Big 12? What is it? Ooh. Then put him on it and tell him to solve it. Well, it's your defense right now that dragged you down. You were a top 20 offense, but your defense was bottom 20. All right, so that drags you down because your special team that's just one of the best in the country. So is that it? Is it about talent development, which we've all talked about for years, is the biggest issue? Because you got talent acquisition going on. right? you got that. So is it talent development? Is it a culture problem here? Is there toxicity with the culture? Does it need to feel like, figure that out? Is it is the DBs? Because you've not been able to coordinate your coverages with your pressure packages. You need to figure out exactly what it is. And you need to get detail oriented. And quit just saying, ah, we'll bring them in. We'll fix it all. What the hell? Fix it all? Fix it all. You know how many issues exist. You know how I many pages of issues I get here? Yeah. Give him a problem to solve. Good coaches are problem solvers. They figure out what the problem is and they come up with a solution. That's what you need to have them doing. I think if you have them piecemealing all over the place, I'm telling you, yeah, because that's what Dick told me did. This ain't ain't close to what it was when
0: Dick Tomey right. was here. In right. a different s- approach. You said all the things that I didn't do a very good job of saying, because that's exactly what I meant whenever I used the phrase, you know, just a jack of all master, not only because he. Get Patterson understands the totality of being a head coach and running in a whole situation at a big-time school, and then when he has the ability to go into those deep dives that you're talking about and all those things, I really think that maybe that's what the, you know I'm saying was saying, meant to say what you said.
1: That's the curious part for me, Rod. And, and that's, maybe that's something that Sark, I don't know, maybe he needs Gary Patterson to help him figure it out or somebody to help him figure it out, or maybe he's got to figure it out. I don't know. Well, the, the answer to that's gonna be the product we see on the field in the fall. Yeah. But if Sark is to sit back, and this is when he's had time to do it, right? This de- the dead period in recruiting, you're not out on the road, there's no bowl game, season's over, it's just you and your thoughts. Get inside, let's get inside Steve Sarkisian. and said if you're power ranking the problems with this program.
0: Exactly.
1: What is number one?
2: Yeah, no, I'm with you because
1: I don't know because I've got three or four different things that I could put number one, and I, you can make a very compelling for Sark, case for them. Sark
2: is probably I, just – I'm psychoanalyzing Sark based on the moves he's made and based on just watching him and listening to him during the season. He thinks lines of scrimmage are the biggest problems here at 40 Acres. Yeah. He thinks lines of scrimmage on both sides of the ball are the biggest issues and the lack of girth and the lack of uh, – pass-rushing presence on the defensive side, someone to affect the quarterback, and a lack of high-level offensive linemen on the offensive side, he believes that's holding back basically both phases, both offense and defense. is holding them back. And he thinks that if he can infuse a ton of talent there, that it will have a, re- a positive domino effect, and it will improve every element of the offense and the defense. And he might be right about that, but that takes a little bit of time. And my thing is, what do you? And yet you could do that. What do you do in the meantime? And by the way, ain't no guarantee that if you're getting in those big time recruits on offensive line, defensive line, that they're gonna turn into the monsters and the war daddies, because that takes talent development, which has been an issue on the forty acres. So, are you you got a plan for the short term and the long term? Because that's what you're gonna need.
1: Yeah, that's that's really interesting because I felt like the last two coaches, and even late Mac, was kind of more way too short-term focused Mm -hmm. and not thinking about playing the long game. And I think Tom Herman kind of fell into that a little bit.
0: And that's where the whole happened at Texas.
1: I think Charlie was the exact opposite. I think Charlie was playing the long game and neglected the short-term to the point that (laughs) – by the time you got ready to play the long game, you, you needed to win now because yeah. there was no long game to be played if you didn't win now.
2: He was operating like he had a lot of time.
1: That's why it, It's a really critical offseason for Sark from that standpoint because I'm with you, Rod. I, I see what they're doing. with the, and you're, We're probably right. You're probably right. I think if you look at the problems, in, just in terms of us trying to, again, as you said, psychoanalyze Sark of Erica, what would he think is the biggest problem? Because if you start with lines of scrimmage, you start with your ability to run the football, your ability to stop the run, which can help your pass rush, which can help your coverages, mm-hmm. which can help you facilitate other things on offense, which then ties back into player development. Because if you're going to play the long game with some of these high school offensive linemen that you've recruited and these young defensive linemen that you've got, yeah. you got to develop those guys. So then we get back into the player development discussion. So it probably – we ought, we talk about player development in terms of there's a lot of tentacles that branch out. Man, that, uh, that line of scrimmage conversation, that's like that family tree. That's got a lot of things that branch off from it. But the, the the roots of it, the trunk, the core of it, I, you're probably right. If we could pinpoint one thing that I think Sark would say, this has got to get fixed before we can go anywhere, Yeah, it's probably the lines of scrimmage.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's where he'd start. And I think second, he'd – I don't know where he'd go second. He'd probably go to – hell. I, honestly, my personally, I, I would go to, to PK and, like I said, coordinating his coverages with his pressure packages and his fronts. But he would he, – Sark could probably go culture, honestly.
1: I think for the PK thing, I think it's something I said towards the end of the year and something I've, I felt like Sark needed to do with PK. If he's your guy, and Sark's clearly going to ride with him, go to him and say, what do you need? What do you need from me to help you make this thing work? What what, what what do we need to do? Do we need to fire Terry Joseph? Do we need to get a new DB's coach in here? Do I need to bring in Gary Patterson to help you pair your fronts with your coverages better? What 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 do you need? What What can we help you do? To make this thing work I think that's probably number two is just figuring out from Pete Kwiatkowski and getting honest feedback from where are the issues on defense what is your biggest issue on defense and how do we go about fixing it
2: yeah I mean that's that you could put Gary Patterson on it obviously he's got a ton of experience with it and he's a yeah you know, one of the revolutionary minds when it comes to coming up with creative exotic schemes coverages and pressure packages I I think that you should Either, either put him, put Gary Patterson on that, or you need to spend more time in that defensive room. It is just that simple, Sark. You need to go in there, and you need to find out. You need to be troubleshooting his schemes. Yeah. All right. You need to be saying, dude, I would rip this apart." Mm-hmm. What are you talking Vice about, versa. man? I would go outside zone on this all day. Then I'd, I'd come back with the bootleg and the waggle on the other side with a, with, with crossing routes. And I mean, you, you should be in that room, and you should be. Basically, troubleshooting and, if you will, reverse engineering all of his game plans and then coming up with ways that he could adjust and adapt if the other team is as smart as Sarkis offensively and they attack it in the same way. You need to be anticipating these things, which means you need to be in that room more. I know what happened. You didn't go in that defensive meeting room near enough. You know it, too. Sarkis said it late in the year. Mm -hmm. You know you need to be in that meeting room more, period. And I know you're the offensive coordinator, also the play caller and the head coach. So that head coach title means you need to be in that room more with him, period. So I don't know how you do it. I don't know if you stay up later, all right, and sleep less. That's probably the answer because you're not going to spend less time on your offense. And maybe you can, but you got a new quarterback now, all right? So you're going to spend at at least uh, as much time there as you spent last year, if not more. All right, because you got you installing with him. You need to figure out a way to be in that room more, to figure out what PK's doing and what his methods and his motives are so that you can troubleshoot him. And if you don't, that's going to drag you down. It's going to drag you down, man,
0: period. And you always hear about those type of things where you have players and going outside of their position groups only because they actually can gain attention, like players and coaches doing that all the time. And those type of situations really makes you be able to – you talk about complementary football on the field, but if you're talking about – complementary aspect of game planning and being Mm -hmm. able to go in there and being wholehearted across the board and be able to identify those things. And I really think a guy like Patterson might be able to be that for like he should be in charge of all the analysts, like that's what this type of role is, and being the guy that's not a bad idea. you can go and have your analysts be working on stuff, but mm-hmm. if they're going into the rabbit holes in the wrong areas, it's just a misallocation of duties and bad time. That's a great point, man. And you aren't going to yeah. be doing anything. So if he can identify those type of things, be a guy like Sark. Like if say that's where Texas maybe fell off, maybe Sark doesn't have the time to be able to identify all those things. Have a guy like Gary Patterson be that guy that allocate those duties and make sure that all the right attention like if you don't have an army of 100 guys the mm-hmm. way that Sabin does with his analysts and don't have the system already set up and ready to go a guy like gary patterson is that type of person that might be able to do that allocation i duties.
1: like that idea uh, that's, that's actually that i hadn't heard that yet matt but that makes a ton of sense basically idea. you're you're overall you're you're the lead analyst overall the analyst mm-hmm. uh because oh, something something clicked for me there, Matt. While you were saying that, something that I I try to strive to do, and most of the time I feel like I fail miserably doing it. Uh, but I think it's something we should all try to do, no matter what line of work you're in. Figure out how you can work smarter, not necessarily harder. Oh yeah. Like I remember, you know, I remember some of Mac staff did this. Charlie staff was very much guilty of this, uh, and I didn't hear much about Tom Herman staff doing this, but definitely heard a lot during Charlie. Oh man, they're staying at the office till two, three in the morning and getting mm-hmm. two hours of sleep. I'm like, yeah, but I see the product on the field. Like, what are you getting accomplished? Yes. Like, yeah, you're there late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're putting in a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. But but what is the purpose of your work? Okay. Like, well, you're working hard, but there there is no purpose mm-hmm. to said work.
0: Yeah. Uh, and and
1: what, are you, what are you really doing at that? But well, You're right. wasting your time.
0: Yeah, that happens a lot. In many In industries, by the way, not just football. Exactly. Yeah. Because, like, that's, I mean, it's something that I've learned over time with daily fantasy, just because mm-hmm. it is a t- lot of rabbit hole. And if you go and spend time looking at something that you think may mean something, but then you actually don't and misappropriate that know, time, it it's a double <laughs> amount of work. And it then does, you're yeah. back sure. to where you were. Full circle, and then you have to do it all over again. Yeah. And it takes learning to be able to do that, and that might have been what this first year was partially from Sark. And I mean, you're never going to be done as a coach if you're a coach always striving to do more mm-hmm. and more. So in that situation, it could be something where hopefully you can actually start to see the returns or at least channel them in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think if if Sark – I love your idea about
2: having Gary Patterson over the analyst – Cause that way, it, whether you have him I, trying to identify the problems within the mm-hmm. program, or you have identified the problems already, and you just have him actually coming up with methods to uh, come up with solutions mm-hmm. or whatever it may be, uh, yeah, give him a team. You're on run
0: fits. You're on you yeah. know zone blocking. You're on first. You're, this, you're on you're first down red zone yeah. Yeah, passing you know I mean? downs. You yeah. got yeah. this. No, you no,
2: know. I like that idea. I like. I love that idea. That's sure what
1: I. Doing what doing. you just said, Rod. That's what I'd like to think. Why Sarkar Gary Patterson that he has identified the problems, and there are certain Mm -hmm. things that he can handle, but he has realized, like, I I heard John Harbaugh say this one time, and I wish more coaches, we all know coaching, especially the highest levels of football, a lot of ego involved, Mm -hmm. and I heard John Harbaugh say this, and I'm not Mm -hmm. saying John Harbaugh's got it figured out, but I Mm -hmm. love the way he put it. He said, I'm smart enough to know when I don't know something Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. who I need to hire to help me fix it. There you go. And I hope what I hope the Gary Patterson hire ultimately is is we've like that we kind of talked through it. We started one place and we got in here. I hope that's what this is. Is it Sark looking at the situation saying, "Here's the problems in the program. This stuff I can handle. I can I can handle culture and I can handle some of our offensive issues. But whether it's stuff on defense or whatever or lines of scrimmage whatever, this is stuff that he either feels like he's out of his depth or I think Gary Patterson would, would be perfect." To help us figure this stuff out. He'd be out.
2: better than me. Yeah. yeah, I could do it. But yeah. I, as Matt mentioned, my time would, wouldn't be wisely spent, right. probably misallocated, mm-hmm. and this guy would do a better job anyway. So why don't I just yeah. hire this guy, do a better job, and then I can still focus on that. No, if he did that, that that's, it's a brilliant move. I love
0: that. I love that idea. To your point, Jeff, and just you brought up John Harbaugh, he just fired Wink Martindale, who's been with him for a decade because of those same type of things where he had to identify something. And even though you have a relationship with the guy that's been with the Ravens defense, with the linebackers, and then the D.C. for that long, like he was a five-year, six-year linebacker coach before getting the D.C. job in one year, and it's like, no, This game just might not be fit for you. Sorry, Wink. Got to give you the adios. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that was an interesting move there. I like John Harbaugh, man. He's a
1: forward-thinking forward guy.
0: Yeah. That's
2: I think cool. there are just a lot of good defensive coordinators out there on the open
1: market, and Harbaugh was like, dude, I'm going to get one. He might go take his brother's defensive coordinator. He might bring Mike McDonald back. That's what I'm saying. Take That's just a bit. Yeah, it was yeah. like
0: he gave him to his brother to save his brother's job at Michigan for yeah. a year.
2: That's what I'm saying. There's so many good ones out there now. I think he's just like, you know what? I might upgrade over can, Wink.
1: Yeah. Let me, can I ask you something real quick? by the way if you have got your longhorn blitz bingo card out go ahead and fill the Kyle Shanahan spot because i'm about to have have Rod talk about <laughs> Kyle Shanahan uh you talked about Rod right? Shanahan is one of those guys that in the offseason he's in a film room i don't know 16 uh, 18 hours a day just uh, man, grinding away he he he'll
2: spend some yeah he'll spend some 12 13 hour days is
1: 15. he more does he is he more kind of just over the offense and then wants to hire just hire a badass defensive coordinator to handle that side of the ball or does he try to be as involved on both sides of the ball as he possibly can. He
2: tries to be involved in as much as he can. Um, But obviously, I would say 60% of his attention is on the offense. Uh, But, yeah, he he tries to – I mean, he tries – I know he tries a ton to get involved on defense. Special teams I'm not too sure about. Maybe that changes this year, but Richard Mm -hmm. Hightower – been your former, forever. I don't know
1: one of your former teammates. You got a
2: shout been out forever. on Sports Center when I yeah. heard Richard Hightower's <laughs> name on Sports Center. I yeah. was like, "That's awesome." I thought actually his job may be in jeopardy. Yeah. Honestly, between us, because the San Francisco special teams has been down this year. Exactly. But Considering they won them a playoff game Not with all those LeFleur's. plays they made, I, I think he's relatively safe. But it's hard as a coach. I mean, nobody can. I mean, you would love to be able to sit in all those meeting rooms—offense, defense, and special teams—and then be able to give them equal amount of attention. The reality is, you just can't do it. Yeah, that's,
1: that's possible. I would love you to, need pick to hire the,
2: people you trust. That I know would, what you
1: don't know. On well, that, I would love to pick. Yeah, I would love to pick the brain of, uh, you know, a John Harbaugh, a Bill Belichick, a Kyle <laughs> Shanahan, guys that have even a uh, Nick Saban, guys that have done it at the highest level. As a coach, when do you reach that point where now you feel like you need to delegate?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, you need to go into the room Into Yeah. And, and he, so I don't know how disrespectful that is either when you hire someone and then you have to you know, go a step in and go. Like, when do you, you
1: delegate? Know? When do you step in? How yeah. much how much of a, a leash do you give somebody? It depends on the
2: relationship you have with the coach, I imagine. Man,
1: it's, it's it's that's the fascinating part of coach. I know we talk about X's and O's a lot. That's but a relationship man, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You coaching your coaches, managing your coaches. Yeah.
2: And not offending them when yeah. you give them a knowing how to criticize your, your
0: principles and how they're out,
2: you know yeah. dealt out amongst nobody, all the people. I, I, it, that that is a fascinating part of coaching that nobody talks yeah,
1: about. Yeah, because some nobody I mean it's it. no different than dealing with if you're the CEO of a company dealing with people in a workplace. That's like some some there's going to be some coaches that they they need a, a kick in the butt. They need you to be on them as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Rod, you've been around. There's some guys that they just want to just. Let me be in my office. Leave me leave alone. Me alone. And let me. Exactly. Yeah. Don't bother me. If my job. If it's, my doors shut, do not come in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, yep, we've yep, always kind of talked right.
0: about sports psychology and how it really took forever to get into sports, and we always talk about only the sports psychology amongst like players, but that sports psychology amongst coaches and staffs—it's like yeah. a whole added layer that, like, maybe uh, decades ago, you didn't have coaches necessarily. You know, like. Do, dealing with that amongst each other in my own ways to communicate. Because you, if you're talking about coaching, we're, like, we're talking ball. Let's talk coaching, and that's all we're doing and focusing on. But then being able to have that trait to identify those things amongst yeah. your coaches and be able to amplify them, it's just some other aspect of sports that I would say is way more focused now, but something that also probably isn't focused on as much as it should
1: be. What's yeah. one thing I always say about coaches that fail at Blue Bloods or when it goes bad, it's – you did a really bad job putting together your initial staff or mm-hmm. in, in some cases, you know, somewhere along the way, you just made a really bad coaching hire.
2: The fits. Usually on the lines of scrimmage too because there's not a lot of good O-line coaches out there. They're tough to find. Even the ones that have a good reputation, I'm doing air quotes here, mm-hmm. we've learned before, sometimes that's a bunch of bull. Like
1: how long is da- <laughs> like how long has Dante have been with Bill Belichick? Right. You know?
2: Yeah. Hey, I think Notre Dame just brought back like one of their old O-line old mm-hmm. coaches. I mean, because it's it, one of the toughest – position coaches to find is a good old line coach. Yeah. I don't know why they're so hard to find but they're really hard to find. Oh, but
1: you've heard of like uh, Tom Coughlin, Jimmy Johnson are two guys that I've heard of like when you find when they find a good old line coach man it's it's almost like he's coming with me. If I take another job it's he's sorry. coming with me.
2: Yeah, so because are like nah I'm mm-hmm, nope. close my guy. We're, yep. we're, we're now yep we, we're a combo. We're a combo package. And, when, I mean, when we <laughs>
0: talked about how, you know, possibly with the uh, uh, severing. Well, rally without beating bowl is going to be interesting. There that's you go. And the severing of PK and Jimmy Lake in the past and just exactly. being able to marry mm-hmm. these things together. And the, that's Great. sort of what I'm talking about when it's talking yep. about that chemistry because we remember whenever it was Mac Brown getting together, the all-star staff, and, you know, Mac, Mac was able to get five-star players, hand them to Greg Davis, and Greg Davis could make it work. That's because the coach identified the players. But then now you're talking about, oh, oh, yeah, well, I'll just get all the best coaches and we'll walk past. And it's like, but they all don't even know each other or never worked with one another. And, yeah, it can work exactly on paper. Right. And it's just like me as a little kid looking at the back of a, a baseball card and being like, oh, look, if you put all these all-stars together, they're going to be good. But then actually get those humans in the same room and see how they That's work together. That's where coaching staff and, like, say you're coaching Tree, a guy like Shanahan, and all the way back to his dad and His group that's built down and you look at these Coaching trees that come out and A guy like uh, Lafleur or A guy like McVay they conceptually They run their defenses are Quite similar as the 49ers you know And they look at offense and all the way across The board you have these things that were They're like minded and all originated From the same type of area and that Sort of chemistry that you can have Then be able to identify those traits That work well with you When you're hiring your next guys and stuff That along those lines like we don't get to see those interviews that they have when they're interviewing coaches or seeing how the schemes fit or talking and those are the type of conversations that really could make a big deal in making those coaching staffs work immediately in year one or year two instead of having to have a year or two where you got to yeah most of my staff yeah, hired was good, but we got to tweak one. Like, Texas has always had, we've pointed it out, like always had a mistake or two on an initial staff that then has to change, and that's a year or two that you have to wait before it works.
1: And, and I mean, just, you know, Sark didn't feel the need to change. I mean, change offensive coordinators is not going to fire himself. Um, but, like, he didn't feel the need to change defensive coordinators, but you tweaked a few things. I mean, Stan Drayton leaves to take a head coaching job. You bring him to Shard choice to coach running backs. Uh, you know the Andre Coleman. Keep in mind, Andre Coleman wasn't Sark's first choice. Dennis Simmons was his first choice, and he couldn't well, get. He did he, say
2: he wanted to hire Andre Coleman at other stops, though. Yeah, but he didn't, praised Andre Coleman a lot. Don't don't let don't let him off of that. He, he did. <laughs> he praised him a lot. He did. But said multiple locations. I want to hire. And Andre that could be I was the like, one mistake. Multiple locations. You want to hire Andre Coleman? Damn, Sark. You can not do better
0: yeah. than Andre Coleman. Or you're yourself. being s and us, and it isn't as transparent right, as you right, appear to I, be. I, I,
2: I, no, because if we say that,
0: then we got to pick and no, choose I, and say pieces. I That's what he said, out.
2: "I'm gonna take the man." I just know. Right. I just know. And Andre, when he said that, I said, "Man, have you been watching Andre Coleman's wide receivers? Because I got the stats for you, and they don't get better."
1: I just know. I just know Andre <laughs> Coleman wasn't his first choice. Dennis Simmons was his first choice. Well, PK wasn't his
2: first choice either. And
1: and he got and he got Andre Coleman, and it. Didn't work out for a number of reasons, and he moves on. and gets Brendan Marion, and we talked a lot about Brendan Marion a few episodes ago. But Rod, that's another part of it too. If Sark, for Sark to spend more time in that defensive meeting room, you better have a damn good offensive staff that you entrust your offense with. And I wonder if that's a big reason why I'm bringing Brendan Marion in to marry some of those go-go concepts with this offense, and just kind of let those guys get in that think tank a little bit with him and. Kyle flooding the run game and uh, you know making sure everything's everything's on point.
2: Yeah, no, I can see that. I mean, that's uh, I mean he is the passing game coordinator, and I think a big part of that is they do want to combine some of the concepts of the go-go with Sark's offense, the basis West Coast passing game. The Go-Go's West Coast passing game is also the roots. So I think that's why they can marry a lot of the concepts there. And, you know, Texas has been trying to run more two-back sets. they got a really talented backfield. So that fits too. Um, so I, I do I, – I think ultimately Sark does want to evolve the offense – um, I don't know how quickly that's going to evolve but and how much of it's going to evolve, but I do think you'll see some go-go concepts next season. No let's,
1: let's stick with the offense and the go-go <clears throat> because, Rod, you got your numbers on empty formation handy? Uh,
0: yeah, I got on okay. Twitter. It was insane, like 10.1 yeah, and 10.0 okay.
1: the last two Um years. Because I want to bring that up uh, to, to close out this week's show because we kind of got on this on the flagship message board at Hornets 24-7. Uh, you know, Somebody was asking about, it involved when Texas gets Isaiah Dayor out of the portal from Wyoming. By the way, mm-hmm. committed to the Tennessee. Props to Brendan Marion for staying on that kid yeah. and getting him because I'm going to give you some numbers here in a second and tell you why that's such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then you add your little Billingsley, and in the conversation where people talking about receivers, I, you know. I got I, some numbers on them. I railed on this receiver group last year. Yeah, it was all offseason. I didn't believe in it. I, I, this goes back to we were talking about this in 2020. We're like, eh. Everybody's talking about these baller, these receivers are gonna ball out. I don't know. We said it on the show ad nauseum. And I there's some Texas fans, guys, that are like, well, Jordan Whittington, if he's healthy, like, yeah, he hadn't been healthy. You yeah. can't count him to be healthy. That's unfortunate. And Marcus Washington and Marcus Washington and Calvante Dixon did not take the steps forward that this staff hoped they would. Mm. There's a reason why wide receiver was a massive priority in the transfer portal this yeah, year. I agree with that. So when we were talking about this offense. Well, I mean, if you got Billingsley on the field and, and you want to maximize these running backs, Jeff. I mean, does that mean you take somebody out of the slot? I'm like, no. You got to start thinking about it in terms of positionless football. You got to just start thinking about these guys and, and get out of that old. This guy's an X receiver. This guy plays in the slot. This guy plays to the field. This guy is a tailback. No, you've got to get your weapons on the field. However, you can get them on the field. So I want, to, I want to give you a couple of numbers. I want to start with Jaleel Billingsley mm. and just how diverse he can be and where he can line up. Mm-hmm. Because we talked about it, man. Texas loves running 12 personnel. They love running the football out of 12 personnel. Yeah. The problem with that was when they tried to salt games away and you got in the second half and you needed to add a different wrinkle to it, you were too one-dimensional, you couldn't, and you became too predictable. Jaleel Billingsley with Sartre calling the plays at Alabama in 2020. In terms of where he lined up, 66 snaps in the slot, 23 snaps out wide, 86 as an inline tight end. You go to 2021, 101 snaps in the slot, 51 out wide, 166 as an inline tight end. So Billingsley is clearly diverse enough to where you don't just need to put him with his hand on the ground and just have him try to fire off and set the edge and move people off the ball. He can do a ton of different things for you. He is... You know, people are like, was oh, is he a flex tight end? Is can he play out wide? My response would be yes. He can he can do a little bit of everything. He
0: returned for kicks you. for Bama.
1: And he needs to do he needs to do That's a little crazy. bit of, he needs to do a little bit of everything for you to to really diversify that tight end position
0: with as, with as
1: much as Sark wants to play with the tight end. <laughs> Matt, do you have anything to add on Billingsley, or, or were your numbers just on Nayor?
0: No, I have uh, both of them. And Billingsley, he did uh, return kicks, and I believe he had more that's returns crazy. as a, uh, under Banks than he did wow. last year with Saban. So that's something that shows his skill set that what he can do and that's when they had Devonta Smith back there with him too but if you look at uh, Billings we talked about the a dots of Texas's tight ends recently last mm-hmm. year Brewer was 4.8 Wiley was 3.3 Davis was actually negative 0.3 on his couple ones that he had well look at Billingsley last year uh, he only had 0.87 yards per route run, but he also had a decent A dot. If you look back to Sarks here, 9.7 mm. was his average depth of target, nice. and he had 1.78 yards per route run. So he more than doubled what he did on a per route basis, which is insanely impressive. But just showing the dynamic because we talked about the lacking a uh, depth of target and no type of threat that the tight ends post. And you go from having guys that are averaging about four yards to a guy in his career that. That's averaged over 10 yards. And then if you look at with Sarkin 2020, when he's behind the line of scrimmage in zero to nine yards, his average only had seven of his targets a QB or NFL rating of about 100 when throwing to him. When you're talking about 10-plus yards and 20-plus yards downfield, 10 to 20 yards, 10 targets, nine receptions, 195 yards, and a touchdown. All nine receptions went for first downs. And he was three for four on a contested catch aspect. And his NFL rating on those passes were 152.1, 20-plus yards downfield. He had two touchdowns. It was uh, two first downs, which come with it in a perfect NFL rating. So if you look at that overall, it was like this is a guy that was basically only used 10 to 20 yards downfield in Sark's offense, and he didn't have nearly as good of returns the one year without Sark. So what caused the tipping point, I know him and Saban maybe fell out of favor. Also, along those lines, it was obvious it looked like maybe him and Sark's relationship the year before was really what made it work well.
1: Um, the other thing about Billingsley too that stood out to me, Matt. You look at his uh, yards after the catch per reception. Yep, he was a four point four last year for Alabama, but mm-hmm. back in twenty six point eight yards after the catch wow. per reception. It
2: makes sense, Sark's break to
1: daylight like philosophy. Yeah. yeah,
0: yep, and he yeah. ended up having sixty six yards <laughs> after the catch on those ones, ten plus yards downfield. And you brought up the aspect of uh, you know lining up at different positions, not just an X. And I don't know if y'all listened to Jamar Chase this week when talking uh, before their win over the Titans, and people were asking him, "Well, you know, you hit that big lull like – you really didn't do much until, like, the last half of the season, and then you exploded. And Chase said, literally, quote, he was like, well, this issue was I was playing at the X only. Mm-hmm. He's like, I plateaued, and then they started moving him around in mm-hmm. the off- offense. And we just talked about that, which we, uh, the predictable aspect of the Herman offense. And once you put these guys in these situations, you could see a scenario where they do plateau. And that was sort of the tipping point, Chase said, of his. So when you brought that up, I just had to point that out
1: i will say this too if you look at you know there a lot of there's been a lot of talk about well, how is billingsley as a blocker how is he as a blocker and i his grades his Pff grades are not great um but i just looked at it in terms of run blocking snaps in 2021 he and Jared wiley were about the same uh wiley had 158 run blocking snaps uh billingsley had 160 wiley's grade was 58 which Still isn't great. Uh, Billingsley, 38-9. I think he was the worst run blocker in that Alabama offense. 44.8. Sounds like uh, a kick return. 40, 40,
2: They're not bringing him that to block. 44.8 <laughs> uh,
1: on zone schemes, 37.6 on gap schemes. Jared Wiley this year, though, uh, 74.4 on zone schemes, 51-1 on gap oh, schemes. Did as zone a run blocking. blocker. Uh, Wiley actually wasn't. Yeah. Wasn't terrible. All right. Let's get to Isaiah Nayor because I think this is a this is an element that Texas did not have. Xavier Worthy, yes, he is a vertical threat, but he does so much more for you Mm -hmm. on offense. Yeah. And the thing I like about Isaiah Nayor, Matt, when you look at his targets per reception, so he had forty four catches on eighty two targets. And you're saying, wow, that's a really low percentage. Well, what I'm about to the couple numbers I'm about to give you make that make sense. This guy is a vertical threat, Mm -hmm. period, point blank end of story. Uh, on those 82 targets, he only had three drops. We talk about sometimes with big time receivers, guys that are high target guys, you can get high drop numbers. He's yeah. got a pretty low drop percentage mm-hmm. in terms of drops per target. His average depth of target, that eight dot number we talk about, 17.7. That would have led the Big 12. Marvin Mims was number one in the Big 12 at 17.6 wow. uh, yards per route run. Nayor was at 2.87. He would have been, again, best in the Big 12. Marvin Mims led the Big 12 in that category at 2.62. Xavier Worthy was at 2.61. So Isaiah 6'3", can go make contested catches, but he is a guy that is he is on the field to take the top off of a defense and give you that kind of vertical threat that you did not have last year.
0: And to your point on that, Jeff, looking at the numbers, because I wrote down the exact same ones. And then when Rod came in, I asked him if he had seen some of these. So I had to just blurt them out when he walked in the door. But another guy that's six foot three and by the name of Gabe Davis, y'all saw him for the Bills mm-hmm. just totally go off. You look at his 2019 numbers again at UCF, it was instead of Nayor's 2.87 per route run, he was 2.90. Nayor's 17.7 dot. you had 16.5 for Gabe Davis that year. Also caught 12 touchdown passes. He ended up finishing his career around those same numbers. And if you need a quick skill set, size, comparison, how they're used, like the last guy in college football to put up similar type numbers in the same type of body was a guy that just scored four TDs and went for 201 yards against the Chiefs.
1: You're going to take a lot of pressure off of Xavier Worthy. Mm-hmm. He had Xavier Worthy had 103 targets. Last season, yeah. In the Pro Football Focus era, so PFF started tracking college statistics in 2014. He's only the fourth Longhorn to have a hundred or more targets in a season. Wow! Colin Johnson had 103 in 2018. L.J. Humphrey had 120 that same year, and then Devin Duvernay. Rod, right we talked about it. You're basically just giving him long handoffs. So I went back and looked at it again. 121 catches on 129 targets, yeah. according to Pro Football
2: And I bet 50% of those were within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Yeah,
1: it was probably more than that, yeah. honestly. It was probably closer to 60. Uh, but so, I, and then I started looking, we talked about, and again, this is why wide receiver was a need for Texas in the portal. We talked about that wide receiver rotation shrinking down mm. and the number of targets <laughs> shrinking down. I looked at long, in the PFF era, I looked at Longhorns with 20-plus targets, how many? How many? How many players did you have on your offense yeah. that had twenty plus targets? And we know the f- the first couple years PFF tracked the passing game was a disaster. So I started in 2016, the Sterling Gilbert offense. In 2016, Texas had eight eight players with twenty plus targets, all of them wide receivers. Okay, wow. let's go to Tom Herman's first season in 2017. Again, eight players on offense with twenty plus targets, seven of them wide receivers. You notice the trend? Sark is onto something here. 2018. Seven players on offense with 20-plus targets. Only four were wide receivers. I mentioned Johnson and Humphrey. Devin Duvernay with 65. And then Gerard Hurd with 25. Mm-hmm. So you identified your three playmakers on the perimeter, and you targeted them a lot. You yeah. tried to feed them the ball as much as possible. 2019, seven with uh, 20 or more targets. Five of them wide receivers. And then we talked about the 2020 offense. Seven Longhorns with 20-plus targets. Six of them were wide receivers. Now let's go to Sark's first year in a twelve game season. The number drops to six Longhorns with twenty plus targets, mm-hmm. and only four of them were wide receivers. You had Worthy with one hundred and three, yeah. Joshua Moore. This talk about this discrepancy. Second was Joshua Moore with forty five, mm-hmm. Jordan Whittington with thirty six, and he missed what three or four games. Yeah, yeah. And then Marcus Washington with thirty. The next closest was Kelvonte Dixon with 15. So like we talked about, if you're in or this wide receiver rot- If you're in this wide receiver rotation for Sark, you're gonna be playing a lot. Yeah. And the is gonna come your way.
0: And yeah. your best players are gonna get funneled usage via Bijan and Worthy. Cause right there, it looked sounds like when you had Worthy almost out target those other three receivers combined. And that's why adding a guy like Nayor, if you can really go and get your whole all your touches on your team to be allocated 80% of them. Through three guys, that's a pretty easy way to guarantee your production on a per play basis go up. And, Nayor, the last stat that I saw that was amazing was that I think you said it the contested catch rate, 60%, 15 of 25. Like Gabe Davis was just 11 of 30 at UCF. So, you're talking about a guy that goes up against his players and be able to win.
1: All right. Rod, you ready for your your presenter empty numbers? Uh, I think a lot of people that follow you on Twitter have seen these, but we're talking about. Positionless football, right? We know Isaiah Nader is going to play on the outside, but you can move Xavier Worthy around, do a lot of different things with him. We just talked about it with Billingsley. Bijan Robinson, everybody included, might have the best hands on the team. We talk about the go go offense, the two tailback stuff, getting your tailbacks involved, making use of that running back room. One way you can do that is you go empty formation. And we talked go back to Tom Herman's first year. we talked about Texas making that transition from 17 to 18 when, like, you're empty, your you're, you're how much you threaten a defense in empty changes a lot when you know you go from having Kendall Moore and Kyle Porter as two of your guys out that spread out wide in an empty formation. They don't really threaten anybody. And we start talking about now you had, you know, at the time of Cade Brewer and you bring in uh, you know, you make better use of Devin Duvernay and Trey Watson was a guy that we felt could help. Basically, the more weapons you have on the field, empty formation is a great way to stop worrying about who's the X, who's the slot, whatever. Just get these guys out in a pass route and let them go, let them go do damage. And right before you give, it, I'll say this: when we talk about how do you help an offensive line that's still very much in a state of flux and trying to find itself. Design some stuff with the quarterback and get the ball out of his hands quicker. Mm-hmm. And empty is a great way to do that.
2: I started being obsessed with empty, honestly, because of Joe Brady. So studying LSU, mm-hmm. I started studying more empty and tracking empty for Texas. That's when I started really looking at it and how much it stressed. Because Joe Brady loved it because Joe Burrow loves it. Cincinnati mm-hmm. actually uses empty second most in the NFL right now behind the Rams. Use the most in the NFL. It's becoming more and more popular. Probably around eight percent of colleges use empty. It's like eight uh, percent is that their empty rate. Texas is below that, so Texas needs to get to Carly. 8-10%. to 10%. The NFL is actually way ahead of college when it comes to empty rate. They're using it around 15% of the time. It's really popular there. Makes sense though, because now you have the quarterback renaissance, more dual threat quarterbacks, and you just have better quarterback play at the NFL level and you have to have effective quarterback play to be able to operate empty because you've got to have quick decision making, quick processing. Actually, sack rates go down. That was also mm-hmm. by Joe Brady. That's why he started using it. People say, oh man, you got nobody to protect the passer. Actually, all the studies have been proven and even the studies that I've done with Texas out of empty formation your sack percentage, your sack rate actually drops out of empty formation Mm -hmm. and Texas this year averaged 10.2 yards per pass out of empty almost nearly 9 yards per play and what I love most about the empty formation is the explosive Mm. play rate you look at plays, passes of 15 yards or more and rushes of at least 12 yards, Texas has a 23% explosive play rate out of empty formation this year problem is they don't use it enough I'm not saying they need to use it 20% of the time but you should probably use it closer to 10% of the time Texas should be in NFL numbers when it comes to empty formation right now they're lower than the college average yeah. of empty rate that's something Sark needs to address. Numbers are pretty obvious. I've been mean, putting the numbers out there for two years. about. Yeah, and
0: <laughs> because the 2020 numbers are just the same, so it's not a small sample size No, you situation. got two different regimes, two yes. different
2: offenses, different quarterbacks. It's not that. The reason that the NFL now has adopted empty as one of its favorite concepts is because it's effective, mm-hmm. period. It's really effective. Your explosive play rate just goes through the roof. And you and spread I, out the defense. And you stress the defense more yep. than anything. More than spreading them out. You're spreading them out anyway with spread formation. You stress the defense defense and you force them to forsake disguise because they have to get to alignment and assignment because they can't afford for the ball to get out quickly and for something to happen and now dual threat quarterbacks you still have the threat of the run that's why the bills love empty too and they're using it more you're starting to see hell you you, actually Lamar jackson and and baltimore was using it a ton too because with lamar jackson the backfield empty does anything more stressful than that for a defense so it's been fascinating it's probably one of my one of my new obsessions with football because I think it may be the most explosive concept in formation right now in football. It's like going. I don't in, think anything's more explosive right now. It's, it's
0: like, like going two. five out in basketball and pulling sinners yeah. out. You're pulling the pass rush out. Yeah. If you have five guys out there, that means there's fewer that are in to be able to rush the passer. So just mathematically, it helps you be able to be more set up to yeah. be advantageous in all scenarios. Oh, great.
1: My uh, my favorite two point conversion play is out of empty, the Dana Holgerson West Virginia mm-hmm. play, the Tom Herman borrow, yeah, yeah. where you're in the four-by-one formation. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Tom Brady I loved, in the I Super Bowl that. last yep. year you got was doing the same thing. You got
1: so many different options off of that. Yeah.
0: No, I, it Depending is. Depending on is. how you
1: align the, the four part of the four-by-one, uh, you can you know line up three and kind of do a a, a stack where the tailback is back or the, the wide receiver whoever, and just throw the screen. And now you got a convoy mm-hmm. in front of him. You, whoever's the, the the solo receiver, he can run a fade. He can go a slant. It's all about feel and footwork and where that guy's leveraged you in terms of how yeah. he's playing his coverage. I, I love I love that play great. on the goal line. I love that play for two point conversion. Play design.
2: It's a lot. I mean, it, it, trust me, a lot of creative concepts are not coming out empty because teams are starting to use them more uh, with the four by one set you're talking about too. So, like I said I, my theory is that it's the most explosive play in football. I'm going to try to get some more evidence to back it up, but it's I, I haven't seen it. Be this popular ever. Now I see, I think I've yeah. seen it more now than I've ever seen it before.
1: And with the backs you've got, Rod, and as much as Sark loves motions and shifts, hell, you can show Empty to. St- it- you can go the other way around you instead reload. of they instead it of yeah, yeah instead of like, shifting to empty, yeah. I can start starting empty and now you show a two tailback look.
2: Yeah, they call it mm-hmm. emptying, like emptying the clip, and then you reload. Yeah, so you see a team starting empty or go to empty and then put the running back back in the back. so many mm-hmm. different
1: things you can do with mm-hmm. it, man. I Love empty formation. So Longhorn fans, that's mm-hmm. basically what we're saying. Don't worry about who's going to be where. You got playmakers. Sark will use them, and there's exactly. a lot of different tools you can use to utilize them. Empty formation maybe at this point being the best way to get that done. Mm -hmm. All right, how's going to do it? Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod we appreciate the time and the knowledge.
2: Anytime, brother, anytime.
1: For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 104.91019 AM 1260, streaming on that Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B. each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Same as Pluck. You can also get myself and Craig White on Light the Tower each and every weekday from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives, our classic interviews, and shows on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search at Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. Click that follow button to get every episode of the flagship state of recruiting and Longhorn Blitz, and don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howell. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.